Okay, I'm going to read a few scriptures this morning and then uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. Okay, in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, in verse one, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. And again, we've said this before, but King Uzziah reigned as king in Israel for 52 years. And Isaiah was really, he was quite a patriot. Of course, obviously being a prophet, but uh, so he's making that very clear. In the year that King Isaiah died, he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train, the skirts thereof, filled the temple. And this is a picture of Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state before he came to put on humanity. And we see an innumerable host of these angels surrounding him. Above it, verse 2, stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Again, these are unfallen angels. They're in his presence. They haven't fallen, but in his presence, in the pre-incarnate Christ's presence, they have to they cover their face. With two, he covered his feet, which speaks of just unbelievable humility. I'm fallen. But being a creature, being a creation, a creature, they're very humble. They're very humbled in his presence. And then with two. He did fly, which would speak of instant obedience. And this is what they cried. One cried to another. So with this innumerable host, as they're peering at him and looking at him, taking in, and in, in, in his glory, they, they, they're covering his face. Through their wings are covering their face. And they're crying, and but they're looking at him and crying one to another, each one, all this innumerable host of angels. They're just crying this to each other. And what they're crying is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How do we know that this is Christ? How would we reckon that? Well, we would have to turn to the scriptures. And in Revelations, the fourth chapter, in verse one, it says, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Of course, who's the way, the truth, and the life? In John 14, six, who's the door in John 10, seven and nine, it's Christ. A door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight, like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and, and twenty seats, 
and upon the seats or these thrones, I saw four twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And at some point we'll get into all these things, but and what they mean. Clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders, thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits, or the manifold fullness spirit of God, spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne were four beasts, or really the word should be creatures. Four creatures full of eyes before and behind. They were filled with intelligence as they were looking and peering at him in his glory. And in this instance, we, we had in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, the pre-incarnate state. In this chapter, it's Christ in perfect humanity seated on a throne and these angels are taking up again and worshiping him and these they were full of eyes they were full of illumination and perception of his glory and of course they can never know it like you and I can and the first creature was like a lion the second creature like a calf the third creature, face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four creatures, each of them, look what it says, they had six wings. It's a seraphim. They had six wings about them, and they were full of eyes. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. They're talking about Jesus Christ. Which was and always is in eternity, the one they were worshiping in his pre-incarnate state. And which is right now, God in humanity on a throne. This is what love has accomplished on our behalf. And it was power that did it. And it's given us power. And this power is operative and active because of love. And it gives us a right mind how to think clearly in 2 Timothy 1.7. Which, and which is, and which is to come. Boy, which is to come. Not only in time again, in the millennial reign, in Revelations the 20th chapter and the 4th verse, that thousand year millennial reign, but then thereafter into the eternity of the eternities. What is to come? And it all has to do with him. The greatest, most unbelievable manifestation of God's love in perfect humanity for all eternity. And of course, when God, who is love, became a man, in John 1, 14, he became a man, what? Forever into all eternity into all eternity. So then we go to Luke, the first chapter. And in Luke, the first chapter, we come to the scene where the angel Gabriel appears to a 14-year-old 
virgin peasant girl. She's, in the eyes of the world, a little nobody. Just a little, okay, little Mary. And the angel appears and says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bring forth a son. And his name will be called Jesus, and he will be great. And will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is Israel, forever. And of his kingdom there will be, what? No end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How will this be, seeing I know not a man? I'm 14, I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest. Notice that the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also that holy thing which will be born of you. This is his humanity now. Because we know in his pre-incarnate state, in deity, in the form of who he is, in his essence, they were crying, what? Holy, holy, holy. But now, yet in his humanity, seated on the throne in Revelations 4, 8, they're crying, holy, holy, holy. Very interesting. What love has accomplished on our behalf through unbelievable power. Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, God is holy. He says, therefore, be holy. Could we have ever done it with, through the law, through relying on ourselves? But no, in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, because he is holy, you be holy. We are holy. And so the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Also, that holy thing which will be born of you will be called the Son of God. And then in verse 51 of Luke, the first chapter, it says, He has showed strength with his arm. He has shown strength, unbelievable power with his arm. And who is his arm? Who is God's arm? Who is his way of doing everything? Who is the greatest manifestation of his power? It is his son. And his son here in his human form. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, their minds. He has put down the mighty from their seats. But he's exalted them of low degree. They have nothing in themselves. They're bankrupt completely. But he's exalted them of low degree. Verse 53 says this, He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he sent away empty. And what a thing that this is. I want to talk about what love has accomplished through its power, through power. And there's so much that can be said about this, about these verses. But let's turn to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And in 2 Corinthians 12, it has a lot to say about the power. First of all, what is the power done? What is it, what is it released? It releases this incredible love of God 
which keeps our minds so sound and so kept in that love. In 1 Peter 1, 5, we are kept by the power of God. His love is so powerful. There's nothing more powerful. Nothing that sets the mind straight and keeps it pure and clean than the very love of God that is manifested in Christ. And so Paul, and many think when he was stoned at, at Lystra, or Lystra as some would say, believed that he, he went to heaven, to the third heaven. And he said, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And this is what he said. But I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. In God's presence, because that's the third heaven, that's where God dwells. That's where the throne is that we saw in Isaiah, the sixth chapter. But Paul, he said, when I was there in his presence, in heaven, the power of his presence and the power of his love. I didn't know a man in the flesh, he said. I didn't know myself in the flesh because flesh can't be in his presence. He said, but I knew a man in Christ. I know a man in Christ. Such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I couldn't tell, but God knows how that he was caught up into paradise, the third heaven, and he heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for him to utter. I heard these in the presence of God. And when Paul went there, in the power of God that brought him there, because of the power of love that's accomplished it, Yes, none of us right now have been, while we're on this earth, taken into the third heaven, but the title and the power that brought him there is ours as much as his when he was there. Because it was that power that sustained him the whole time he was on this earth. It was power. Christ, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Christ, listen, do we need power? Oh, we faint in Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. He gives power to the faint. Christ, the power of God. The power of God and the wisdom of God. Two things that we need while we're here in the midst of unbelievable temptations. In the midst of a world that completely rejects God. In the midst, we have the flesh in us. We're not of it, but it's in us. And Satan always is tempting us to get into the flesh to draw us away from who we are in Christ and to not experience a love that is so powerful and keeps us clear in our thinking. What can sustain us what can sustain us? He said, these things that I heard in his presence, they are so overwhelming, I cannot even put words to them. I cannot even put words to the things that I heard in his presence. 
about who he is, about who he has made us to be in him and who he is right now in us while we're on this earth. I heard these things in heaven. I heard what was being said and it's so powerful and so overwhelming. I can't even put, barely put words to it. But he said, of such a one will I glory. Yeah, I'm going to glory in Christ and the man and the man in Christ. But of myself, I will not glory. But, but in my infir infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I will not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seems he sees me to be or that which he hears of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a splinter, a thorn, a sharp spike, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I should take everything that was mine in his presence and take it outside of his presence and exalt myself. God in his love gave me a splinter, gave me an irritant that always kept me in check and always kept me weak. And for this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The original says countless times. You can't even count them how many times he desired it. But always the answer was he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength, my power, my dunamis, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And what a truth, what an unbelievable truth this, this things, these things are. I want to just read to you something that I never usually do, but I want to read to you from a Greek scholar here. And... 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. It says here that, of course, Paul probably still had that thorn in his flesh. And he did. And because of it, he needed the word of Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not in word only, but power. Power. There's power. And it's sufficient. That word sufficient, our key, is, it says here, is rich of meaning. And it means it's rich. It's rich. The word of God is powerful and rich and sufficient. Or in other words, it's plenty rich and sufficient to ward off against danger. And it's a present passive indicative of Tilio to finish. It finishes it. Nothing, I could never even begin to start to endure the temptation. But power comes in in the midst of weakness. Power is continually, and it's linear. And what that means there is it means, linear simply means is here, is that it is, is continually increased as the weakness grows. <laughs> it's not talking about sin. It's talking about weakness. Remember in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, seeing we have so many testimonies 
of those that were witnesses of the power of God and the power of Christ in their lives. What does it say? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Lay aside. It says the weakness and every single thing that could cause us to sin. He's saying when you're weak, when you're weak, God's grace, when we're available, will come in with such a power. It'll ward off the danger that that temptation that we can't even begin to resist will come in. And it'll ward off that danger. That danger, it'll ward it off. And it will finish it. In other words, it'll end it. At that time. It'll take it away. The human weakness opens the way for more of Christ's power and grace. That's why he said this. I would rather have the splinter in the weakness and experience the power of his love and grace than not to have it. Than not to have it. Well, he said, I take pleasure. Then I take pleasure in it. He said, because when I'm weak and that power comes in, at that very time, not in myself, Am I strong, but in the fresh access of power from Christ for the emergency? And the dangers and the things that we face, they are, in a sense, emergencies. I also want to read in 2 Timothy, uh, in Romans 1, verse 16, Paul said, when he's talking about the gospel, he said, it is the power of God. This was something that Paul was knowing by experience. We don't want to be weak, but it's the way to experience his power. We don't have strength in ourselves. None of us do. None of us can withstand the temptation. None of us can make it through the trial without power coming in, without strength coming in. And when it does, this is what he said. This is what it is. It's like the dynamite. It's the explosive power of God comes in. Listen, you want power? Do you know what love is? Love has accomplished so much for us. It's given us deliverance. Death. We want to be delivered from certain things. We already have it. Death has delivered us. Can you tempt a dead man? We died in Christ. We died in him and with him. And he died as us. So there we are. We have this treasure, this powerful, explosive treasure in us. That the excellency, what is the excellency of the power? It means it's sovereign. There's nothing above it. There's nothing that his power, Christ in us, that he is not above in us. <laughs> it's nothing. Nothing. He is sovereign. He rules. He's regal. He's far above all. And he said it's like dynamite. And then in 2 Timothy 1, 7. In 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given 
us. He gave us his son. Listen. So in antithesis, he has not given us the spirit of fear. No, he gave us his son. He's not given us a spirit of fearfulness. Numa, Delius. Here, Numa is the gift, the charisma from the word grace. That gift in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. And this, this word fearfulness, Delia, is an old word from Delos, and it's always in a bad sense of cowardice. <laughs> of cowardice. But what has he given us instead of that? Power. Dunamios, power, power. What does this power do? What does this power do? It drives out fear. That's right. Why? Well, because in 1 John 4, 17, we're to have boldness, not fearfulness, boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this present evil world. And there is no fear in love. Why? Because love has explosive, dynamic, energetic power. And it just explodes fear. It drives it out. Takes fear right out. It drives it right out. And gives us amazing, amazing self-control. Not by self, but by a power that comes in and drives out what the self-life outside of that power is trying to do in terms of controlling us. Controlling us. There is incredible, incredible power. I'm going to give you some Greek words for the word power this morning. This is more tending towards a teaching type of a message to some degree. But there are some words for the Greek word power. The first one is dunamis. Dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. And this expresses power. It, ex it expresses a natural ability that's general and inherent. It's inherent in us, this dunamis. Then the word, the next word is energia. It's E-N-E-R-G-E-I-A, energia. And that denotes a working, a power, an exercise, and a power that's operative. It's operating in us. Again, I want to say, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, powerful, powerful. You couldn't keep him in the grave. He conquered death. That's power. And he's in us. Available. Right in the midst of our weakness. The next word is exousia. E-X-O-U-S-I-A. Exousia. Exousia is freedom or liberty of action. <laughs> he's given us power, such a power, that we can live... And the freedom and the authority of his love for us. <laughs> and boy, does that keep our mind clear of everything else. Mm -hmm. Keeps everything else in check. It keeps in what should be in. 
and keeps out what shouldn't be in. <laughs> Exousia, freedom of action, and then it gives me authority. I have power and authority over everything because Christ is in me. It's unrestrained. It's a power that not, it's unrestrained, it says. It's an arbitrary power. Then we have the word ischus. It's I-S-C-H-U-S. And it, this word expresses strength, power, especially in a physical sense, as an endowment. As an endowment. Then we have that word kratos. K-R-A-T-O-S, kratos. And it means might. And it's relative and manifested power. We have power to relate to everything that is just waiting to be manifested in and through us, right in the midst of weakness. And oh my God, we need power to come in to the midst of weakness so that we rely on that and don't rely on ourselves. Because when we do, when we try to rely on ourselves in the trial, in the temptation, in Satan's world, what happens? Well, we said the other night, we said it last night, I believe, that here we are in Satan's world system, his cosmos, of which he's the God of this world, the prince and power of the air, and we named all those scriptures last night in Ephesians 2, 2, and in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, and in John 12, 31, in 1430. Here we are in the midst. And we're, we have trials that are to increase our faith in 2 Peter 1, 7. It's more precious than gold. But the enemy comes in and wants to use it as a temptation. So the trial comes in and the imagination or the voice from the atmosphere is you can't, you have to meet this with something in this world system. You can't meet it with anything spiritual from God. <laughs> but we have might. We have something we can relate to. Because Christ put on humanity. And he went through it all. We have a high priest in Hebrews 4.15. And we come boldly in Hebrews 4 verse 16. Because he learned obedience in Hebrews 5, 8, and Hebrews 2, 10, he learned it, and he's able to succor us or to bring us to himself right in the midst of temptation because he has power. He has power, and he's in us. It's kratos. means might. It's relative and manifested power, we said, but it's chiefly of God, right? And he said, Paul was saying that, listen, in the midst of my weakness, I live by the power of God. What does that power do? It gives you and I the ability, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, in the midst of the weakness, in the midst of the temptation, in the midst of the Satan's backyard, it gives you and I the power to know who we are in the midst of that temptation. And to know who God is with me in the midst of that weakness, in the midst of that temptation. What is it saying? 
You and I can seek God's kratos, his power. And God's strength can be at work in man. Oh, yes, it can. The enemy says, no, it can't. You've got to do something. God is waiting for you to do something about it. But we can't do anything about it. It's already been done by the one who's in us. And so God's strength can be known and can be known to work in you and I, even in the weak. And he wants to, in the midst of that, in the midst of the fear, drive it out so that the only thing we sense is the reality of the power and love of the sense of victory. <laughs> we already have the victory. Listen, we are more than conquerors, Romans 8, 37. We're more than conquerors through him, <laughs> through ourselves. No, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're more than conquerors. We're to have a sense of victory. Also, this power is that which is in movement is restrained. It's a power that comes in. And all around us, the temptation, the world system, the flesh that's in us, and we're not of it in Romans 8, verse 9. We're not in it's, it's We're not of it. It's in us, but we're not of it. But that which is moving all around us, power comes in, and we're restrained and arrested by that power which is fixed and finished in him, in us. It's always, when we see that word kratos, especially, which is chiefly the power of God, it's always, always in the singular, and it means strength. That means every time we need it, we can have it. Seriously. Every single time we need it, we can have it. We can have the sense the reality, the experience of might or, or supremacy or victory. And that always speaks of power over something. What's the something that we need? What's the something that we desire? Listen, we already have the power over it. Listen. Is it a reality that his death conquered everything about the old man? Did he crucify him? Powerful, did he? So what are we left to deal with? The new man. We already have the power. We had it before we even desired it. It was ours in him. It was in his mind in eternity. manifested on a throne that he would come and put on humanity to bring us right back with him into unbelievable, uninterrupted love that is so powerful, so powerful. So we have, right in the midst of that, in the midst of whatever it is from the enemy, we, God has for us the power of rule. Literally. Ruling power over everything. Doubt. Fears. Worry. 
sickness, death. He's conquered death. Yet to reveal it. Yet to wipe it out completely. The last enemy in 1 Corinthians 15, 26 is death. We've, he's given us power over it already in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Yes. Listen, he has given us power. He is himself the power that he gives us. And he hasn't held back. So as we close this out, he wants us. What is ours in him in us is the uniqueness and superiority of divine power. Oh boy. Divine power. Power over all things. Oh boy. What is he, Christ, not above? What is he not above? And he's one with us. He's made us one with him. He dwells within us. All power was given to him in Matthew 28, 18. All power was given him in his humanity. And he's in us. Oh, God. We have all power in him, in us. Who are we relying on? Do we want to rely on a power that's over everything? So that's so powerful and it's so over everything that all we're all occupied with is his love for us. Oh, that's what he wants us to be occupied with. That's done it all. And it is God who has this power. Listen, it's God that has this power. And he has reserved it for himself. You think he's got enough? Men have power. But we only have it as given from God in one sense as a loan. <laughs> it's a loan. <laughs> it's just to get us through. Oh, you need some power? Yeah. Yeah, yeah buy without money in Isaiah 55. One. Right? You need power for this circumstance, this situation, this fear, this sin, this struggle? You already have it. Here. Here, take it. I've not only given you everything. My son did not only give you his everything. He gave you himself. He is all powerful. He's all powerful. And he's given it to us as a loan. That our power is only lent in the sense that it's derived outside of us. In other words, he's in us. He's in us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Christ in you, in Colossians 1, verse 27, the hope, the guarantee of glory. And But you derive it as you're dependent upon him in the midst of weakness. And oh boy, if there's anything that would describe us down here while we wait to be with him in glory is we are weak. But in the midst of our weakness... With him in us, what are we? We're dynamic. You think the enemy wants you and I to, to reckon on the truth of that? That God's power impels man to reverence. He's given us this power. 
Not to just live any old way we want to. Not to just make choices that we want to. But he's given us this power. Oh, did his son ever reverence his father. And he's given us the son. He's given us this power to reverence. And that reverence, that power comes in and it's reverence. It gives us a powerful reverence. And what it does is it also leads to trusting confidence. That's what that power does. God's power then is linked with the fact that he is Lord. You know what that means? He's master over everything. And he's linked us with him. (laughs) And in closing, it stands alone. This power stands alone in 1 Peter 5.11. It's linked with what the Greek word timey, T-I-M-E, it's linked with that. Value, honor. Value and honor. God wants us to live in the reality and experience through power that there's such, he has such honor for us through Christ. It's in him, but he's in us. Paul said, I didn't know a man in the flesh when I was in his presence. Oh no, nope, because it can't be there. Thank God, living, thank God. He's given us the power to live in his presence and his presence is love and love gives us joy and peace and we're able to suffer long and we're able to be gentle and be filled with his goodness and then we have a faith and then it keeps us so meek and gives us unbelievable, the control of self through love in his presence and it's also linked with that word eternal in 1 Timothy 6.16 and it occurs with a doxa glory majesty brilliance it's, it's, it's with that word in 1 Peter 4.11 in Revelations 1.6 and 5.13 and it's always with reference in those Revelation verses with the Lamb of God and God himself. And this finally, it denotes the superior power of God to which the final victory will belong and it's ours in him. So Father, we thank you for the truth as we again, we have a capacity only to handle so much, even of the greatness. We don't we only have a, a capacity to handle so many trials and you and your wisdom and in first Corinthians ten thirteen won't allow anything greater than what we can handle in our capacity. But that even pertains to the truth that's ours. You will never give us beyond what our capacity is. Yet some things you give to stretch it. We just thank you. Boy, do we want power? Oh look at the what the power of Christ has accomplished. We want victory. It's ours. It's already ours. We want deliverance. Deliverance comes through death. (laughs) And now all we have is life. Christ our life. And boy, we need to understand these things so much more. And that word power also goes into, and I thought of this really, this was really on my mind and, and, and deeply, is... Oh, 
what power there is in prayer. And oh, how we need the prayers of others for us. I honestly believe, I really believe that I could only be even where I am now. It had to be the prayers, powerful prayers of others. I know it's true. And God, I thank you for the prayer, all the prayers of those, the prayers that you know who they are in secret. They don't do it for glory. They do it because of love. And there's such power in prayer. And there'll be a, a great revelation and manifestation of that very soon about those and all those prayers. Those prayers, the powerful prayers that you save, they're like an incense and you save them all in Revelations 5 verse 8. Those are powerful prayers. Praying in the Spirit, led by the Spirit. As Christ intercedes for us through others. I think it's, oh boy, I don't know, I would think it's, to me it almost seems like it's the greatest, the, the hidden, the hidden one up behind the scenes just offering up powerful prayers so that the word comes and others experience surprised victory. <laughs> Where did it come from? Where did the victory come from, God, when I was so weak, when I was so struggling? And it's because someone was linked up with a powerful Savior, with a powerful Holy Spirit that was leading them through prayer. And we just thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for those that do, I think, the highest office really that there is. And so much of what we think, and it's true, you do bring the word and it's powerful, but I think so much of it has to do, if not all of it, with answered prayer. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.